You've already heard our scripture reading today from Job chapter 19. The title of today's sermon is, And Yet, And Yet. You know, in the church that I grew up in as a child, every year on Mother's Day, the pastor at some point in the worship service would stand up and ask several questions. The first question was, who is the oldest mother present at worship today? And then they would figure out which one of the ladies in the congregation was the oldest mother, and they would give her a rose. He then asked another question, uh, which uh, woman here, mother here, has the most children? And so they would figure that out, which mother in the congregation had the most kids, and they would give her a rose. Then they would ask the question, which mother has the most children in attendance for worship today? Sure enough, they'd figure that out, they'd give that woman a rose. And then the final question that they would ask is, which mother has a child that came from the furthest distance in order to be in worship this morning? And they would figure that out, and you guessed it, that woman would get a rose as well. I remember as a kid being fascinated by this intrigued by this. Every year on Mother's Day, based on the previous years and based on who we saw sitting in the pews around us, we'd try to figure out who might get those roses on that particular Mother's Day. But as I got older, I began to think about some other questions. These were questions that the pastor in the church of my childhood didn't ask. Questions like, um, how many women are in church on Mother's Day that desperately would like to be a mother, but for whatever reason could not be? I begin to think of questions like, how many mothers are in the congregation on Mother's Day who've had a child that preceded them in death? I begin to think about other questions like how many people that were present on each of those Mother's Days had mothers that had abandoned them or neglected them. I begin to think about how many people that were present in worship on those Mother's Day who might have had a mother to die recently, perhaps in the last few days or weeks as Mother's Day approached. It began to occur to me that while there are lots of people who are able to celebrate Mother's Day and who love this festive day and, and can't wait to spend that time with their families, that there are many of us that find it difficult, if not impossible, to truly celebrate on Mother's Day, it can be a tough, tough holiday. I confess to you that as this Mother's Day approached that I have not been looking forward to it at all. And it's because my mother is in a nursing home and ever since this pandemic began, the nursing home in an effort to protect my mother and her friends in the nursing home have made visitation off limits for us. And while I understand the need for that, and I wonder how well my mom understands it. 
I mean, I know that she knows that there's a virus out there and that it's really contagious. And I know that she knows that the nursing home has made some provisions and taken some precautions in order to protect her and all of her friends. And yet I also know that she wonders where her kids are. Why her kids haven't come to see her. And I can't help but wonder as my mom sits in this nursing home every day and is not able to see her family, if, if she misses seeing the smiles of people. Because for about two months now, she's not been able to see smiles even of the people who work at the nursing home because they have masks covering their mouths. And I wonder if my mom misses skin-to-skin contact because while they're trying not to touch the residents of her nursing home at all, if they have to touch them, they are doing so through a latex glove. And I wonder if my mom is uh, wondering why the preachers and the youth groups and the people bringing in their pets and animals, her only connection to the outside world, why none of those people are coming, and I wonder if that's got her worried and concerned. This past week, I read an article online that talks about that, yes, absolutely, reducing the visits from family and friends to nursing homes has greatly decreased the exposure of the elderly population in those nursing homes from the coronavirus. But this article suggests that while they've decreased exposure to COVID-19, they've also increased the likelihood that the elderly population are experiencing a failure to thrive. Now that's a term that I've always only associated with infants. And if you don't hold an infant and, and, and talk to infants and, and, and caress infants and love infants, that in worst case scenarios they could die. But I never really thought about it happening to our elderly population. And yet it seems that that is beginning to happen that the people that have been cut off from their family and friends, that their depression is deepening, that their, their confusion is increasing, and, and they're becoming moody, and, and, and their memory loss is also worse than it was before. And so forgive me if it's tough to celebrate Mother's Day today. Because I'm thinking about all of those things and I'm thinking about so many of you that are going through some similar sentiments and feelings. I hope you're able to celebrate Mother's Day in wonderful fashion today for the people in your life that are mothers to you or are like mothers to you. As I was reading the scripture preparing for today's sermon, I wondered if Job might be like so many of our elderly population, that he might be experiencing a failure to thrive as well. You know, when we left Job last week, he was experiencing a second round of suffering. You remember the story. Uh, God was having a council meeting in heaven, and the Satan showed up. And God was bragging on Job of what a man of integrity and character he was, and how much he loved God. And, and the Satan said, well, God, the reason why Job loves you so much is because of all the great things that you do for him and the great things that you give to him. 
If you took away those things, then surely he would curse you to your face. Well, God didn't believe that for a second. And so God said, all right, the Satan, you can go do whatever you want to do. Just uh, don't lay a hand on Job. And we remember that story. What Job experienced in that first round of suffering was intense emotional pain. All of his possessions were either destroyed or stolen. All of his children died in a natural disaster. It was awful. And yet Job did not curse God as the Satan predicted. Job grieved. He grieved tremendously, we're told. But Job continued to worship God. And Job did not sin against God. Well, there was another council meeting in heaven and God and the Satan were there again. And the Satan said, well, you know, last time you wouldn't let me touch Job. If you would let me touch Job and inflict some physical pain on him, then he would curse you to your face. If his own life were on the line, you can believe that he would. Well, God didn't believe that he would, and so God once again allowed the Satan to test Job, saying only you cannot take his life. And so the next thing we know, Job is covered from head to toe in the most horrible and uh, painful sores imaginable. He's so contagious that he's shunned from his community, he's ostracized, and he ends up on an ash heap, or what was likely the trash dump just outside of town all by himself. But then his friends hear about Job, and his friends decide that they're going to meet, and they're going to go, and they're going to see Job. And so they go, and they find Job on this ash heap or this trash dump, and when they see him, they can hardly believe their eyes. They can't even recognize Job. His pain and suffering has been so great. And the words just don't or won't come to them when they see Job for the first time. And so we're told that what they did was simply take a seat beside Job on that ash heap, on that trash dump, just to remind him that in the midst of his pain and in the midst of his suffering that he was not alone. Their purpose in coming was to comfort and to console Job. But ironically, while they came to relieve his suffering, ultimately they end up only intensifying it. Because after seven days and seven nights of silence, Job finally decides to give voice to what he's thinking and what he's feeling. And he begins to say what's on his mind and on his heart. And when he does, his friends can't believe it. They don't like what he's saying, and they don't believe what he's saying, and, and so they decide that they're going to set Job straight. They're going to tell him that nobody ends up on the ash heap or the trash dump because they're innocent. They end up there because they have done something terrible and something awful against God. They tell Job things like, you're not even getting half of what you deserve to get, Job. You better be glad that God is gracious, or it could be a whole lot worse. They begin to tell Job, just because we're your friends don't mean that we won't shoot straight with you and put you in your place and tell you what you need to know about your wretchedness and about your sin. 
This is really, really painful for Job. He can't believe that his pain is being exacerbated by these three friends. The three friends are there with him. But in Job's estimation, they are not there for him. They are not being helpful to him at all by uh, rebuking him and correcting him and everything that he said. This is really, really tough for Job. There are 31 chapters that talk about this conversation between Job and his three friends. And it is hard for Job to take. But even harder than the abandonment of his friends is feeling like God has abandoned him too. All he wants is for God to come visit him. All he wants is for God to to touch him. All he wants is for God to listen and to respond to him. But he doesn't sense God's presence anywhere. And he's depressed and he's confused and he's frustrated and he's angry just like the people in nursing homes that are trying to come to grips with why their family won't come and won't show up. And yet, somehow, in the midst of his confusion, in the midst of his depression, in the midst of his frustration, in the midst of his anger, and in the midst of his anxiety, he still clings to his faith. Job says, despite all of this, and yet, I know that my Redeemer lives. And my Redeemer will come to me. I'm so blown away by that kind of faith. In the midst of all that is happening to him, Job clings to his faith. And I'm so thankful for a video that I received from my mom's nursing home last week that gives me evidence and proof that though my mom may be confused, though her memory may be worse, though her depression may be deepening, still she clings to her faith Because she believes, and yet, my Redeemer lives, and my Redeemer will come. Take a look at this video of my mom. Whatever you are facing and feeling, as Mother's Day arrives or as this pandemic continues, my hope and my prayer that as painful as your life might feel and as heavy as your grief might be, 
If you're angry, if you're confused, if you're depressed, if you're anxious, if you're fearful, if you're frustrated, that God might somehow give you the grace to believe. And yet, my Savior, my Redeemer lives and He will come to me. Thanks be to God. Amen.